for every business challenge, there's a solution. The Big Small Business Show is made possible by MTN Business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, the client retention. Yeah, I'm very fixated on client retention and we try and add value to the client first, number one, like we said before. And on top of that, we have a very uh, aggressive communication platform which we use in order to ensure that the client always knows what's happening. You will have authoritarian leadership, you will get democratic leadership, you will get servant leadership, you will get coaching leadership. There's just different types of leadership styles. But now advertising has become more about impact. You want to quickly or purposefully create impact, conversation, uh, brand positioning with something radical. Business is about service. Business is about products. Here we have a typical business selling products and service. And very often as entrepreneurs, we get the message that we are either selling a service or a product. But as entrepreneurs, we always need to be providing product and service. Thank you, Takanani. This is the Big Small Business Show. This is the show for you, our entrepreneurs out there. Now, it's very interesting, over the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, people who have uh, started businesses, people who are wanting to scale businesses, and people at that very early stage uh, where their business is just taking off, and it's actually more dangerous than we think. In studio with us, we have two gentlemen. We have Yandre uh, De Beer. Welcome. How's it? Thank you for having us. And Gilbert Kompukwe, who is the Direct Marketing Manager for a company called V8 Media. And you, the founder, you started this uh, only, what's it, six months ago? Seven, Seven months, yeah. Seven months ago. And it's great to have a business so early on in, in its uh, infancy, I'd say, to have you on the, on the show. Because you are super excited because you've had huge amount of growth. It's exciting, it's stressful, it's I suppose um, <laughs> to an extent like uh, I think I made a post about it the other day, like as a business owner we've been broke for six, seven months. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been very exciting, we've been very blessed and by the grace of God we've been growing month on month so we're excited to see what the future holds. Okay, so, so let's talk ab about, uh, about the business, what you do. What, what, what is the business? So we specialize in digital marketing. Um, I think both me and Gilbert, like we digital activists, we really, really enjoy digital marketing. Um, I met him two months in after starting the business and we just clicked. Um, and from there, yeah, we help clients strategize um, marketing plans for them to help them grow their business and meet their main objectives. Um, and we use digital media in order to do that because it's a lot more affordable than people think. And I think it's also misunderstood and we come in and we try and explain to them how we can help um, and you know, we've by grace of God and touch wood we haven't lost the clients since we've started and we've had some success. Gilbert you, you all know how competitive this environment is I mean everyone out there is a digital media specialist <laughs> right so what makes uh, what in your opinion what makes a good one what makes a bad one? 
So I think what makes a good market is one that is a person that's able to provide value first um, before anything else. So before the service or you know, a client taking out their money, they're able to provide the value in such a way that the client is actually able to see results before you even sign them on as a client, a paying client. So is that like a freemium model where you say, exactly. we'll, we'll prove to you first, and then if we, if we hit, the, hit what we say we're gonna do, yeah. then you take us on? Yeah, so I think that would be definitely a good market, a, a market that actually cares as well for yeah. the client's uh, KPI or the client's objectives and sort of growth. So do you have any focal area in terms of who you're focusing on as clients? Is it small business, a big business? Is it just anyone right now? So when I started, I come from the fitness, health and fitness industry. So when I started, I think I was naturally attracting those kind of clients. We slowly moved into the, the travel space, um, the leisure side of things. We've got small and big companies. Uh, we've got Thomson Reuters, which is obviously global. Um, and then we've got smaller clients for mom and pop stores that are trying, you know, just we're trying to help out where we can. So it's a bit, a bit mix of things at the end of the day. Have you, have you ever sat down and said at the beginning when you started the business, uh, said I'm starting V8 Media, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Have you set yourself some objectives, some targets? Yeah, 100%. I, the day I resigned, I had a very comprehensive Excel spreadsheet of what needs to be achieved <laughs> in order to meet uh, financial requirements for myself. Um, I left a very cozy job, uh, a job that I really enjoyed, but there was just a crack in the wall that wasn't getting filled, and I think that was doing my own thing. So the day I started, I had a very clear objective of what needed to be done in order to, to get to where we want to be two, three, four years from now, yeah. Gilbert, you came in a little later. Like, it, yeah. It's a big risk to get involved in a small business in, in, the, in this phase. Um, was it because you were, to be quite cynical, unemployed, or did you move? Uh, across why, why get involved with the startup business? Everyone says that 96% of them will fail. Funny enough, um, I actually came from a startup. <laughs> yeah. And I understand the startup culture, mm. and that's what I loved most. And you know, coming into V8 Media, it was that same culture that I was already used to, and I was actually looking forward to going back into that culture. And that's really why I jumped on, was because I was just so excited to be part of a startup whose mission, which the mission is to grow very quickly and experiment and, you know, it's, it was just something that already excited me. So it was a no-brainer for me, just like, I'm in, <laughs> that was me. Before we started, we had a discussion about the fact that you're growing and already you've had your one employee leave and you're replacing them <coughs> with somebody a little bit more senior. So you're going through some of the, the teething issues of, of hiring, who to hire, who not to. You want to just expand on that? Yeah, so I think, you know, in the beginning, as a small agency, you don't necessarily have the funds to go and hire experts in the industry because you just can't afford them, number one. Um, and number two, you know, I'm the kind of person that I don't necessarily look at CVs. I enjoy looking at the, the passion behind the person and uh, seeing the potential in the, in the individual. And I think to an extent that's what, what I did. But I quickly realized that sometimes the business grows a lot quicker than the person's capabilities. And then obviously you need to try and find the balance between someone that's capable of doing the work versus someone that's passionate and determined to do it as well. Um, so you know, that was one thing I've, I've obviously learned. And trying to find the balance as we grow is always going to be a challenge, I suppose. From, from, a, from a cash flow point of view, um, you've, you've grown quite quickly. Um, How's cash flow been in, in, the, in the first so couple of months? In the beginning it was tight, like with any business. Like it was, uh, we didn't have any money for funding. I, I literally used the money I had in my bank account 
But luckily in the service business, you have to provide the service and you can get paid for it. So ideally there was no upfront capital needed. Um, as we grew, uh, I just tried to save as much as we can in order to build up that cash flow. And I think we're seven months in, potentially by the end of this month, we'd have a two or three month cash flow buffer that would help sustain us. Um, ideally, I want to. You want to build it up as much as possible. Um, so that's where we're trying to get to now. Is trying to in increase the profitability of the business in order to save that cash flow. You know, a little bit of buffer for yourself, a little fat on the bone. Gilbert, just one last qu question before we take a break. Um, the the industry, as we mentioned before, is very competitive, but it moves uh, very quickly. I was at uh, the Lurie's the other day, and uh, Google was talking about all their new algorithms and all the new things that uh, how they're operating and it keeps changing how do you keep on top of that <laughs> um, we are we constantly listen to podcasts we recently Facebook reached out to us actually because we are constantly um, advertising on Facebook so now we actually have somebody we can talk to who keeps us in the loop of Facebook as well being a place where algorithms affect the ad um, performance so now we've actually got somebody who's helping us as well keep up to date with what's changing but a lot of the time it's re literally literally reading every day and just following the right podcasts um, following marketing experts and just keeping in the loop by constantly just keeping up to date with all the content that is produced on a daily basis I think on all the updates but yeah we're, we're just constantly reading and um, experimenting as well to see what works and what doesn't from podcasts and the articles. We're going to have to take a break now when uh, we get back. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the growth issues being experienced in, in the business. And for those of you who are in this phase, you will be listening intently. This is the Big Small Business Show and this is our panel. And uh, as you see, no one on my left, no one on my right. Here I am all alone. But I'm not actually alone. I'm with two incredible young entrepreneurs here. I'm with uh, Yandre uh, De Beer, who is the founder of a company called V8 Media. And one of his first employees here, Gilbert Kumpukwe, who's the direct marketing manager of the business. We've been listening to how this business started up. It's a couple of months, six, seven months old. It's, it's uh, been growing quite uh, impressively. It's got some, some very interesting clients uh, already on board. And um, I'm loving the, the approach, which is that they take the risk up front and say, let us prove to you that we can actually produce the goods before you take us on as, as a, a um, supplier. So let's talk about now about some of the issues we spoke about before the break. We were talking about staffing as, as an issue. We talk, let's come to, to the clients. How are you getting your clients? Is it word of mouth? Are you knocking on doors? Is it through social media? How are you getting your clients? So, so in the beginning, we didn't really have any money to spend on social media marketing for ourselves. So it was just call outreach emails, picking up the phone, like literally back in the day, I suppose how my, my mom and dad would have to do it. <laughs> so it was literally just picking up the phone and, and phoning clients. 
and then from there word of mouth started going around which we've been very grateful for uh, and on top of that I think yeah we're just trying to make the most of our time in order to ensure that we're constantly looking for new clients um, whether it's phoning or emailing and now and what do you say to the client what makes you because they will also know that there were 20 other people in the last week you know either they saw something on social media or, yeah. or called how do you discern yourself or distinguish yourself from everyone else? We try to differentiate ourselves in the market, like with Gilbert said, we try to add value a little bit first in the relationship. So do you say that? Do you say... We say that we can show you that we can make a difference, yeah. Okay. Branding videos. And, and do you take any budget? Uh, we do take budget, yes, of, uh, of course. Gilbert was actually saying earlier, like we also do a lot of branding videos where we talk and share knowledge on specific topics, which business owners then end up seeing. Uh, and then we've had people reach out to us going, oh, I never actually knew that you could do that. Please, can you help us out? Gilbert, coming down to the, the plan, the, the marketing plan or the digital marketing plan, do you present that in a templatized way to, to your client? Do you go and have a conversation? What is your interaction in terms of presenting your ideas and then the relative success or failure at, to that plan. How do you do that practically? Well, um, each client is different, so it will be a custom template, <laughs> I guess, that we would present to them. Um, we would talk to them and understand the problems maybe that they face or the objectives, what their main objectives are when it comes to digital marketing. It's really also just trying to build a relationship with the client. So we do talk to them you know, face to face, try to build the relationship, try to truly understand their business and their needs and their objectives. And then we will package something that is um, custom for that business. So it's not going to be a one size fits all. So it's going to be a personal approach. We try to make it as personal as possible um, so that we can really try and add a value in a personal touch, personal manner. Yeah, yeah Andre, what, what keeps you up at night? What's, what's like, what are you worried about? I actually sleep very solidly uh, since I was a kid. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very blessed like that. But I suppose everyday issues for the business, uh, can, uh, clients cancelling, not happy with the service, getting an email when you wake up in the morning, client upset, go, getting home at night. Uh, client cancelling, whatever the case may be. So I suppose the normal... So the, client, like, the client retention? Yeah, I'm very fixated on client retention and we try and add value to the client first, number one, like we said before. And on top of that, we have a very uh, aggressive communication platform which we use in order to ensure that the client always knows what's happening. Uh, we want to make sure that if you do give us budget to work with, we want to make sure that you understand what's happening with that budget at all times. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of agencies sometimes lack. Uh, and I think that's what we try and differentiate ourselves in t to an extent. Have you, have you staff meetings? 100%, yes. Uh, daily, weekly, monthly? Uh, we have a, a daily chat, I suppose, a 15-minute quick chat, um, bigger meetings on a Monday morning. Um, yeah. Agenda-based? Agenda-based, definitely, yeah. I try and make notes beforehand, and, and then we try and go over it. We try and be as productive as possible and as efficient at the office. Um, I'm the kind of person that we don't measure time at your desk, we measure, measure output uh, of an employee. So we try and be productive as, as always. Employee contracts? Employee contracts, everything, yeah. Everything in place? Yeah. So if somebody had to leave right now, it's very easy to replace them. They know exactly what there's a job description, there's training, it's all in place now. I suppose to that extent, not 100%. We don't have that kind of structure yet in, pl in place. I think the first six months, we're just so fixated on building the business, mm -hmm. where we're now at a point where we're actually hiring a consultant to come in and s help set us up these procedures and structures. So when someone does leave, that we've got documented uh, you know, 
documentation of what they do and what they need to do. And, and how will you know if that person is doing a good job? Uh, we have performance reviews. No, no, I'm talking about the consultant. Oh, um, look, I suppose I'm someone to just trust people, I suppose. But ideally, I like to keep my, I like to be involved with that. So I suppose there's an intuitive kind of like a gut feeling that you would find. My staff would also be able to, I would see it in performance, I suppose, as well. I don't know. We're going to have to try. <laughs> Gilbert, you laughing? <laughs> yes, uh, Yandre definitely has a, a lot of trust factor in people. <laughs> but yes, I guess like you said, we'll have to see it in the results and the performance ultimately. Um, but I'm sure it's, there's somebody I, th we, I also feel we can trust. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you um, your question. Where, where, do, where do you think he sees the business in the next five years? I think he sees the business in the next five years, uh, the top digital marketing agency in Gauteng. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. And he, has he ever articulated that to you? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, how did he sell uh, you the business on day one? Gilbert. I need a right-hand man. <laughs> this business is going far. Join me and you're up for a ride of your life. Okay. Has, yeah. it, has it been the ride of your life? Yeah, some, no, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so let's come back to, we got to, we got one minute uh, before we, 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 uh, uh, we go through to the third segment. Um, growth very often requires funding. Okay, you, you mentioned uh, to me during the break that you've had uh, if people offering you funding for growth. How do you view funding for growth? Like, what, what, what's your relationship with that? Look, I think I'm a very, I like growth, so as a part of me really wants to, is very tempted to take capital in order to grow quicker. Mm -hmm. But I suppose the wiser choice would be to hold on to the shares as long as we can in order to, we, until we really feel we at that point where we're plateauing. Um, and, and when financial capital of a million rand or whatever the case may be can actually make a difference in the business when it comes to strategically buying maybe smaller agencies or hiring new staff or experts that can help grow the business. And what would you do with that million rand? I don't know yet today. It's not something I've given a lot of thought. Um, however, I can quickly come up with a plan if you ask me to in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to take a break now. When we come back, I'm going to give some of uh, my observations and uh, perhaps some uh, topics to think about uh, for these two young men. This is the Big Small Business Show and this is our panel section today. And uh, we have uh, two startup entrepreneurs, and I call them both entrepreneurs, even though Yandere De Beer was the founder, we have Gilbert Kompukwe uh, in studio with us as well. And why I say he's an entrepreneur, because he's taken a big risk as well. So it's time for, for my insights, some of my, my advice. And first of all, I just want to say congratulations, because to me, I remember this, this time. I, you know, I'm in a business that supports other businesses, and it's the one thing that I uh, always that this moment of starting a business these few months where it's a mixture of absolute trepidation 
Okay, am I doing all the right things? And absolute exhilaration and that concoction. You know, I'm surprised you say you sleep well because I mean, it's, just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful time. But it's also a time which is quite uh, deterministic in terms of whether this business will succeed or it will fail. And depending what you do now, you sit, now you're currently sitting at around seven months. Um, you're making some money, you've got some nice clients, etc. What you do now is all telling about your future. And I'm going to give you some quite harsh uh, inputs here, both of you. So sit down, bite your tongue, and, and, and listen it attentively. And don't become defensive. Go and watch this afterwards and, and listen to, to it. So I want to start off by saying that the kind of language that you're using tells me there's a lot of faith. And you're obviously a, a, a person of faith. I can read that in terms of even how you've communicated to me in writing. Um, so I, I take nothing away from that. <coughs> but but there's, also, there's also, you have to match that with also with structure. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, critiquing your faith. I think that's a very important part. And there's going to be some very dark days where that's going to be the thing that pulls you through. So I'm just put faith aside and say it's a positive thing, but it has to be and something else. Because what I see very much with people who don't do faith and, okay, is that it becomes a one of those 96% of businesses that fail. So the first thing that I see missing right now is a strategy. You don't have a strategy. You're in complete faith. All the clients just are coming, and you've got a big one. You've got a couple of small ones. You started here. It's going there. It's all over the place. And so if you start off this way, basically you've got a scatter diagram here where your clients sit on some sort of industry, and you will just follow that. And you will not specialize. You will be not known for anything. You will just be the guys who take any job. And right now I get it. It's real. But you'll take anyone who gives you work. But there's a difference between taking everyone who needs work, and, and you should know, as around who you target. Okay. What are you going to target? What are you going to specialize in? What are you going to become known for? What are you going to become better at than anyone else? What's the strategy? And that can be a one-page document. It doesn't have to be something fancy. It can be a one-pager. This is who we want. This is why we want. And this is where, where we're going to find them. The second thing to me is around then the focus, is that as you start to focus, you don't have focus as well, and that relays into the, the strategy. Most entrepreneurs make the mistake now of having too many lines in the, in, the, in, the, in the water trying everything because they're desperate. Don't be desperate, and, and, and maybe that's the wrong word, but don't be non-discerning. Be discerning about who's your client and who you want. You deserve to have good clients. I, even though I like the strategy of giving value first, I think that can come to bite you into the future. You spoke about, your, your, from a staff point of view, about them having passion, and, and, or having passion, and you like the passion. At this stage, like, and I remember being that anyone who bought my story, I would take. You know, they spoke, nice if they could afford them, I'd take them. It's a big mistake. I wish I didn't know the mistakes that I made. Don't make the same mistake. Find people with competence and find ways to determine co competence from, from a perspective of can they do the job. Make sure that you, if you are not certain, don't take people on permanent contracts. Take people uh, on, on, on a temporary contract, a three-month contract, and, and can see if it works or doesn't work. Because today with our labor law, and I don't want to go into that, I, I, you know, I, I think there's a big issue around uh, people's competence what they say they can do and what they really can do. 
So rather err on the side of drilling them and grilling them more now for a longer run because if they aren't the right people for the growth, you'll have somebody here and you're going to have the problem as the business grows, you're going to have the problem there anyway. So just do the hard work now. The next thing is, is the, the, the systems. You've got to start building your systems now. It sounds like you're outsourcing it. Please don't. Write it yourself. Build it yourself. Even do not do it. You're going you may perhaps get advice. But, but to me, I asked you how you would know. You're the only one who can know. You're the only guys who can know. An, an external person can't come in and they're, they're going to have to ask you how does it work. Yeah. Okay? So they're basically charging you to say how does it work and then writing it down. Write it down. Build it and build it out. Train the next people on it. it. Makes it easier. Rather do the hard work now in terms of building the system so you can replicate that now. Because what's going to happen is you're going to grow and you're going to have no time. All, those in, all that process infrastructure is not going to be there. And one day it's just going to go kaboom and you'll collapse. And I've seen this so many times with entrepreneurs better than myself. Okay. You have, have neglected the systems up front. So become obsessed with, with systems. My last thing now is around the funding. I, I don't know whether it's right or wrong to get the funding now or not. But certainly you should understand what you would do with funding. Okay? That you need to ha even have as a hypothetical question. If I got a million rand, what would I do with it? Because it starts to inform your, your next hire. It starts to inform the way that you would invest your infrastructure. And it has to come back to the strategy. Because if your strategy is I want to go in a certain direction and I want to specialize in a certain area, then you know that your next hire has to then be that person. That you know that if, you, if that person is more expensive, that's what you would use the money for. If, if I need to go and study a certain sector and go on a conference or whatever, that's what the money is going to go for. It all comes back to the strategy of what you're trying to achieve. And we make the, the really, really rookie mistake as entrepreneurs at this stage because of the excitement, because of that intoxication which I spoke about, that we forget the basic fundamental, which is what do we want? And it can't be to be the biggest well-known company in Gauteng. That's not a strategy. That's not a vision. Okay. That's, that's an ego statement. And you have to move away from that to become the, the, to build the strategy. And once you've got the strategy, everything will come from there. But you, it's not too late. You're in the right phase. You heard this at the right time, if you can hear it right now, because I know at this phase also our ears get very blocked at this phase in our journey. So that's my advice to you and to all entrepreneurs in this early phase out there, is that spend the time on your strategy. Please stay tuned to find out what's coming up next. There are as many leadership styles as probably as there are situations. This is the Big Small Business Show and this is our leadership segment. Now today we have somebody who's been on the Big Small Business Show before and uh, is a very, very popular uh, guest on, on our show. Her name is Nolita Fakude. She's a director of uh, many businesses, some listed, some not. She's an industrial psychologist with 30 years experience. She is the most incredible and wise woman and uh, 
and I love having you back here with us and to share your wisdom with us. Thanks, Alon, and it's always good to be here and see everyone. So, Nolita, today we're going to talk about uh, uh, leadership styles, different styles of leadership. What I've learned over the many years of, of doing this particular insert on leadership as an entrepreneur is that we have to have our own style. But there are also a couple of styles that we can look to to see which resonate or partly resonate with us. So let's just talk about when, when people coming into a leadership space, perhaps for the first time or even in a new context, how should we frame styles as a, as a way to think about our personal style of leadership? Yes, Alon, I think you're right. There are as many leadership styles as probably as there are situations. And, and often we hear people talk about situational leadership mm. because each context and situation will require you to lead in a particular way. But at the core of it, naturally, as a person, you've got your preferred style. So some people are more introverts type of people, others are more extrovert, and that normally influences the style of leadership. Okay, so now how do I, okay, so, so, so let's just maybe expand on those for, for a second and then I'll ask my next question. Yes, so, so for example, you will hear that there are about nine, some people say 15 different types of leadership, we won't go there, but you will have authoritarian leadership, you will get democratic leadership, you will get servant leadership, you will get coaching leadership. There's just different types of leadership styles. Mm. And therefore, that's why I'm saying there is many frameworks mm. that people can be put into those boxes and say, someone will say you're a democratic leader or you're an authoritarian leader. And does that come from you from internally as to your personality? Do you evolve something? So, so let me give you a, a specific question. I'm running a small business um, and now I'm a new kind, I'm in a leadership position by default. I don't see mm. myself as a leader. I've just run the small business, there's 10 of us. So now I'm a leader because I'm the mm. founder and CEO uh, of this business. I can't identify which one, democratic, servant, etc. Do, do I try and emulate something? Do I experiment yeah. with things? How do I then evolve my leadership style? So, so I think before we even talk about evolving leadership styles, we need to differentiate between leadership and management. Mm -hmm. Because often people confuse the two. You can be a leader even on the shop floor. Mm -hmm. Because the label of being a leader means that you are able to influence people and motivate them and get them to do certain things, give them guidance or direction to do certain things and therefore they be, you become their leader. So this is not about a level where you're at in the organization. Mm, that's quite and quite. then as a manager, it means you can control things, you can plan things, you can deliver things, you can do things. So that's the difference. So you can be a leader as well as a manager. So in a small business, you will be a leader because you've got the vision and because you've got the whole bigger picture of how you want to see the business go. 
but from a doing perspective, then you become a manager mm. because from the action of translating your vision into doing something, that's part of managing. And managing also means that you can control people, you can guide them, but in a much more conscious way. This is where you say you will do A, B, C, D, E because we want to get certain results. That's management. Okay. So let's come to the question then of about leadership. how we evolve how we evolve our style. So so the, the leadership style is mainly influenced by your personality to to, to a certain extent. Uh, for people who feel more, they are feeling leaders, they are thinking leaders, people when they talk they say, if I see this picture of the future, I can kind of deliver it. That's more of a thinking leader, but someone who wants to bring other people along and say, oh, what do you think? How should we do this? I think we need to go there, but how do we get there? Mm. That's a different style of leadership. It's more of a consultative type of leadership. And, and different people, depending on circumstances and situations, will have different styles of leadership or even a combination. So as a person, for example, people will say, I'm much more nurturing, I consult people, but when there's a particular job to be done and planned, I change my leadership style. Mm. I'm much more directive. Mm. We will do X, Y, Z now mm. because it's agent. Mm. So do you think that people, you talk about your personality, do you think that people become the leaders that they must resonate w with so in other words, if I resonate with a servant leader, I become more likely to become a servant leader. Yes, to a certain extent, but also no, if your situation doesn't require you to be a servant leader. Mm. So I could be, as a person, the kind of person who, who more is a servant leader and prefers to do things from behind. But if I'm in a role in a company that demands for me to give direction and, and also more stricter instructions to people, I'm going to change. I'll be a servant leader, understanding that people need to do certain things to deliver. They need resources to be able to deliver. But I will also come in front and start saying, this is how you do it. What, what type of leader are you? Depends on the situation. Yeah. Um, Non-pressurized uh, if, if I'm in a situation where I'm coaching someone yeah. to, and I want them to develop, then I'm much more of a nurturing leader. I will share with you how best to deliver something and also find out from you how best do you think we should be delivering in that particular aspect of what we need to deliver. However, when there's an emergency or we are running on a deadline, I may be much more of a directive type of leader where it's a question of it's not only we need to get there but maybe this is how we should get there because we don't have time to, to consult. So, so, so mm. it, it does become yeah. a bit fuzzy because it depends on the situation that you find yourself yes. as a leader. If you are running a business, mm. for example, because most of the uh, viewers are business people running their own businesses. You know you've got targets, you know you've got a deadline, and whilst you've got a beautiful business plan, if something happens that 
requires you to change the business plan because now you are running late or someone is not delivered uh, what they were meant to s deliver for the customer at a particular point in time, you are going to step in and start taking control and giving directions if you are a good leader. But if you are a bad leader, you will wait and see things fall apart yes. and then say, but I thought I had given direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why yes, it, I hear, I hear it, you. it's different. You, you have to be able to manage as well as lead. So Nolito, we've run out of time. I'm just going to ask, uh, you said it was fuzzy, but for me, if the fuzzy is the how to describe it. But for me, the light bulb came on today in the sense that you don't label yourself as one. We are all these and we basically choose, depending on the situation, which is the right kind of style to, to use. Um, thank you so much, Nolita. That's all we've got time for on the leadership uh, slot today. Do stay tuned to find out what's coming up next on the show. This, could you unpack this, this, this term frequency? Welcome back. Uh, this is the expert slot and we continue our series on marketing with our marketing guru, Mona Lisa Sam. Mona Lisa, today we're going to be talking about uh, the, uh, the advertising on the correct platform. Mm -hmm. in, in one of the previous uh, sessions that we had, we spoke about if I gave you that hypothetical that if you had 240,000, would you spend it on sales or would you spend it on uh, advertising? And you said sales, and I agree with you. Okay, so I'm going to give you a different <laughs> hypothetical now. Well, let's, let's talk about the fact that now I've got my sales team. I've got a, a certain budget to, to spend now. And there are so many people that are offering me all sorts of platforms. And then I hear that, you know, it's, it's free to, to advertise on, on social media, Facebooks and, and Twitters and Instagrams and, and the like. How do you think about what to choose if mm. I've got a fixed budget? How do you begin to think about where I spend my money? Well, I think firstly, size of budget will kind of narrow it down. Firstly, the smaller the budget, obviously you can't really go to your big platforms like radio and newspapers. Those are often very expensive. Um, and then you have to think about who you're trying to reach. I know it sounds all one-on-one, but I, I'm saying it because you find that depending on the purpose of the advert, there's, I feel like advertising has kind of changed its purpose. There was a time where advertising was part and I think still has the value of supporting marketing. So you had a marketing plan and part of that was to say how do we reach and we would go to TV, radio and so forth. But now advertising has become more about impact. You want to quickly or purposefully create impact, conversation, uh, brand positioning with something radical. And I, and, and I think that that has now become 
the value of advertising since the emergence of social media because social media is obviously the cheaper option and often the hit rate as, as some experts will validate is is better than you know advertising on radio and tv so i mean i think again what i'm saying is that it, it's budget uh, budget dependent it is just, it just maybe unpack uh, some of the terminology that you've used we in advertising you talk about frequency you talk about reach mm. okay and, and the target market let's just talk about you said it's too expensive but for a big corporate it's not expensive of course, for a small yeah. Small business like our audience, it's, it's expensive, expensive to, go, yeah. to go and spend all that money on one advert maybe that airs three or four times. Yeah. So just could you unpack this, this, this term frequency? Yeah. So frequency reach. speaks and reaches. Frequency says is to ask yourself, based on your marketing plan, how often do you want to, um, to, to be out there? How often do you want to be on your targeted consumer's mind, right? And where do you want when do you want to reach them because that also will dictate so if you know your target audience let's say listens to the radio on their way home um, stuck in traffic then you want to be there between 4 and 6 p.m let's call it on a radio mm. uh, medium but if you know that your audience is people that are um, let's say fairly um, a smartphone orientated they're on Twitter all the time they're on Facebook at specific times I mean there's stats that will support your decisions around that then you want to reach them at those times you want your advert to pop up it's sometimes very irritating to, for me to be quite honest when you just want to read an article and there's all of these adverts so again I, I think reach who do you want to reach and how often do you want to reach them? And so you have to support, the, the, the stats have to support your decision. But part of, you touched on something now, which is the time as well. You know, I often see with, with small businesses that uh, I engage with that they've got a budget, they, somebody from a radio station offers them this package, but all the adverts are being uh, aired over the weekend and like between 12 and 4 in the morning and they think they're getting a huge, oh, wow. <laughs> a huge you know, a, a huge uh, discount, which they are and they think that's fantastic and then they can tell everyone I'm on X radio station, but no one heard it. Yeah, this is why it becomes important to interrogate the package. Hmm. I think as, as entrepreneurs, we have to discern between the hype of being on a radio advert or having a radio advert and the actual intention of it so there's no value on when your customers are your targeted customers are sleeping and you know all of i know what is always attractive is that some of these packages come with so many discounts and seemingly uh, what works for you at that time and your budget but you have to interrogate it when will it be aired when will it be flighted how often at what times and then decide on whether that is the right approach or should you continue with an alternative so so let, let's go move to social media now because that is obviously a big um, opportunity for small businesses. But there's things like search engine optimization, there's uh, AdWords, etc. In all and uh, to boost posts, etc. Mm. Um, once again, there is you know if you're sitting with a uh, with a Twitter following of 312 people, 200 of which are your family, okay. <laughs> It, it's not really it's not really viable to say that I'm going to, I now use Twitter as part of my campaign mm -hmm. because I've got no reach. Mm, absolutely. But it might be worthwhile to boost it. No, of course. 
I'm, and, I'm, and I always like to bring the examples closer to me, Alon. Mm. Um, you know, I'm doing, because we're helping a lot of small businesses understand what is the value of Instagram, right? Because Instagram, I think it's instant and the, the images are able to speak for themselves. I've noted how just in my personal capacity, when I, I, I'm st strolling down a timeline and a sponsored advert comes on, that speaks to me how quickly I follow that, right? Mm. So it addresses this point of boosting numbers, mm. right? And that means that now that I've followed that particular product, I'm gonna get more information about mm. it. So I'm part of the community that you're reaching to, that you need to reach to, because I always say people follow what they are interested in or what everybody's talking about, right? So you, you want to be part of that, you know, kind of, timeline as it were so i think again on social media we have to be conscious how if you're boosting are you boosting to your friends who know about your product all the time or are you boosting systematically and purposefully to get a an outside following a new market that will actually turn into a, a sale that's all, all we've got time for for today i mean my only comment is that what i'm hearing uh, around here is that also, these, these different media, this mix, this media mix has to work in concert. You know, that you have to ensure that the, the repetition is there and that you, you might not hit somebody on one media, one, yeah. you would hit them on a number of occasions. Uh, uh, occasions on different media at the same time. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for for today. Yeah, do stay tuned to listen to some of my reflections. Well, it's time for our reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, the cartoon you see in front of you is the Carlson Dutz being interviewed by the press. The press lady is asking him, what was one of your best times as uh, an entrepreneur? Carlson responds, when my business finally made a profit and I had to pay tax. And then she responds by saying, and what was one of your worst times as an entrepreneur? And he responds with exactly the same answer which is when my business finally made profit, I had to pay tax. And this uh, talks about uh, the, the, the journey as an entrepreneur where we uh, hate paying tax, but tax is a proxy for actually making a profit. So it's a bittersweet pill to, to, to swallow is tax. It's, uh, of course, we all have to pay our tax, but when we're not making profit, of course, there's no tax to pay um, or income tax to pay. Uh, or corporate tax to pay, but when we are making a profit, of course, we do have to pay those taxes, and that's a good sign. And so we live in this continuous tension between being very bitter about paying our taxes, but very grateful that we're making the profit that allows us to actually pay those taxes. Well, that's it uh, for today's show. I hope you enjoyed uh, our time together. Do remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. Everywhere you go, MTN.